Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, place to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 81 was recorded live September 8th, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. My name is Darren Jilson, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about scuba in the news. I am solo. Uh, Jim is still busy, tied up with his work. Mac is up north diving, which I am extremely jealous about. And Claire uh, should be on here either next week or the following week, so we'll keep an eye out for her. But no worries, we're going to get started, and we'll head right on into the news. We've got a full news week with stories. First one we have up is a follow-up for the sailboat running over the boaters. Got a little bit of additional information courtesy of uh, Channel 5 out of the Florida area. It says, uh, just to remind everybody, if you if you hadn't been listening to the last couple episodes, that there was uh, we had a video that we displayed of a group of divers being run over by a sailboat. Supposedly, uh, the area is a diving preserve. And there's a main channel which boats are allowed to, to power through. And then there was a side, little side section which was supposed to be diving only. And this boat went through even after being told not to. Uh, this article, which will have a links in the show notes, they have a little bit of extra details on what was going on. Uh, uh, it says there were 15 divers in the water beneath the Blue Heron Bridge when a sailboat with its engine on sailed over their location. Divers came to the surface to see what the reckless was about and were swimming for their lives to get out of the way. Um, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation says law enforcement officers viewed the video, but officers are not releasing the name of the sailboat operator while they're in the middle of their investigation. Uh, luckily, the sailboat passed without harm to anyone. The dive instructor was James Weber. He said the danger potential for harm came way too close. They were lucky they didn't get hit. The propeller and divers don't mix well together. Um, they said it's too early to say whether charges or citations will be issued. We don't know where this is going. We're not here. Uh, we were not there, but we are certainly making efforts to educate this person. That was a reckless endangerment. Uh, divers hope every boater gets the safety awareness message loud and clear. The video, which is a hor- horrific to see, ended well. It could have ended a lot different. And according to Florida state law, vessels must make a reasonable effort to maintain a distance at least 300 feet from divers down flag on open waters and at least 100 feet from flags on rivers, rivlets, navigation channels, vessel excuse me, approaching the divers down flag closer than 300 feet in open water, 100 feet in rivlets and navigation channels must slow to an idle speed. Which uh, that sounds kind of a little bit like a, a vague law, which could be part of the reason why they're not prosecuting. There's a little fuzzy in their wording. Uh, but it makes you kind of wonder what they're reviewing. I'm, uh, what I'm guessing is that they're, they have to get with a prosecuting attorney and see if that's something that's going to be pro, uh, that they're willing to prosecute to take the time on it. But uh, as we've said in the last episodes, uh, something does need to be done. 
The next one, we'll call it almost like a fishing report. This one is out of St. Petersburg. Uh, they said, Delight finds in deep water. Uh, this is by Bill Hardman, uh, the Times correspondent down there. And he said, spear fishing is best in water deeper than open water certification dive limits of 100 feet. They said the advanced and deep certified divers are finding more fish at depths to 100 and 130 feet. Uh, because gag groupers close the majority of the grouper hunters are targeting red grouper and occasionally legal-sized scamps, decent-sized red grouper and amberjacks and water deeper than 100 feet. So there's the, what it sounds like is if you're not getting down to 100 feet, you're not getting good fishing down there. That's something I'd love to do. That's something that Mac's doing this weekend. Uh, it's one of the items up on his list was he was going to try and get some fishing in. I uh, kind of hint a little bit what we have coming up in the show is that he made his way up to Sheboygan. Uh, next up is uh, the Loggerhead Marine Life Center volunteers uh, talk 334 pounds of trash. Uh, the volunteers joined with others community uh, cleaning up 334 pounds from the Juneau Beach last month. Uh, a team of eight dive instructors and dive masters removed 112 pounds of debris from a circumference area of 100 feet of the Juneau Beach Pier. So that yeah, I'm not surprised. We we have similar things here. Piers tend to be a collection spot for people to throw junk in, and if it wasn't for tide and surf, it would still all be there. Uh, what we, we, we do, you've heard Mac talk about, uh, he calls it the, the dead area. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of an underwater current that kind of collects things off the piers, and they just kind of swirl around. It's this big trash mound. I haven't actually been in it, but uh, I've heard it. you got to be careful because you never know what you're going to find, cables, nets, Jars, plastic bottles, ropes, anything can be in that uh, dead area. And it's uh, usually just a little bit off the pier. It seems to be in uh, St. Joe, the, the south pier, about 20 feet off, and you're going to find a lot of trash. Uh, back to the article, uh, was just 24 hours notice, 140 members of all ages came together and collected 171 pounds of trash from the beach. Hurricane cleanup was scheduled in addition to the organization's regular monthly meetings in which 51 pounds of trash were collected by 30 volunteers. In total, 178 volunteers removed 334 pounds of trash from the beach and the water, making uh, that area much placer safe for much safer place for sea turtles. Uh, the, the organization's next beach cleanup will be held September 8th, September 18th, 17th at 8 a.m. in conjunction with the Ocean Conservatory's 25th anniversary coastal cleanup. The cleanup is open to any CUNY member of any age. First 100 volunteers that happen to go down there will receive free commemorative T-shirts. Volunteers will receive a light breakfast courtesy of Whole Food Markets. And the next one we have up is an, another coastal cleanup, which is set for the 17th and the 18th. Uh, Save the Sound will be coordinating cleanup efforts throughout Connecticut. Several southeastern Connecticut sites, including Ocean Beach Park and New London, Rocky State Park and Nantucket and Harkness Memorial State Park in Waterford will be included in the cleanup. Last year's cleanup brought uh, together more than 2,700 volunteers along the state's coastline, and they removed 19,000 pounds of trash from the 65 miles of beach. Now, that is absolutely amazing. Um, we'll have links again on the sites, hopefully before this weekend. You never know when I'm going to get them up, but uh, we'll get those up there. And really, all of September is a great month to get out there and clean. If you haven't done this, if you're not getting out there doing ecology dives, you're missing out a lot. If you're a new diver and you're just getting into the sport, it's nice to be able to go out there 
and uh, have something to do. I found that my buoyancy improved quite a bit during ecology dives. Uh, you know, it just gives me something a little to distract me a little bit, which uh, starts making some of those underwater skills a little bit uh, more automatic. Now, again, uh, don't dive beyond your skill level. You know, if you're not, if you haven't been certified in fast river diving, you want to avoid that. But there's plenty of areas in your normal dive spots, and then make it ecology every day. Anytime you're going down diving, when you pick up trash. Uh, you know, and, and we know what trash is. You know, in, in Michigan, the Lake Michigan, we have to be careful because you can't take anything off of the shipwrecks. But there's certain things we will take off. If we see a plastic pop bottle, a can, a golf ball, which would make it an official dive, those things can come off wrecks. Those are trash. That's not their part of the uh, archaeology of the state. Uh, in the river, at least in Michigan, and check on your local laws, anything that is in that river that's just underwater, uh, you can go and pull that stuff up. Uh, and again, uh, when we get a little later in the show, I'll tell you some of the stuff that Mac's been finding. And on the theme of cleanup, we have Haitian divers make a splash with coral reef protections. And, and Haiti is such a sad case. It's one of those countries that you just wonder if they're ever going to be able to get their act together. Uh, but you can't give up hope. And that's what some of these Haitians are doing. They're making a splash with coral reef protection. They're getting down in the water and uh, trying to improve. And uh, what had happened, and they go into a little bit depth in the article, is that uh, some volunteers were out looking to see what hurricane damage had happened in in Haiti. And what they were surprised to find wasn't so much that hurricane was damaging, but that all the coral was dying. And the reason for dying is not what I would have expected, which would have been pollution or people rough on the reefs. But what it is, it's a result of overfishing. The, uh, a lot of Haitians, uh, the sea is the only place they have to feed their family. So it's between eating and starving. And what they've done is they've overfished the uh, marine animals that are in that area. So they started the larger fish off the reef. They fish those to nearly extinction, at least uh, in their local area. And now they've taken smaller fish off the reef, which keep the reef clean. you got to remember when you remove a species from a habitat, you have an impact. And what they've effectively done is they've taken all the predators away from sponges and from algae that keep those reefs clean and healthy. And then algae is starting to form, and it has actually killed uh, the reefs. So what is going on is they're getting volunteers down there, dozens of volunteers, all excited, uh, got gear together, and uh, they're helping out the reefs. Uh, For many of them, uh, this is their first time swimming in the ocean until a few months ago. Many did not even know how to doggy paddle. Uh, As one person said it, diving and swimming is a way of showing that you you are in the environment, you're a part of it, you don't have to destroy it. Uh, Degradation is rife in Haiti. it used to be an attraction to scuba divers in the 70s and 80s, but it largely died off, partially from sedimentation and climate change, but mostly the overfishing, as we had said. Haiti's 54,000 fishermen rely on the ocean for their livelihood, uh, and they've just fished everything down to uh, there's just about nothing. Uh, they have the second longest coastline in Caribbean countries, yet is the only one that has not established marine protected areas. Uh, it's an unusual solution to come to the country. There's no marine ecosystems to respect for coral reefs and no marine biology programs in university. And that is just pretty consistent with Haiti and how 
uh, bad a shape that they're in. Um, but what they're doing is they're getting the locals involved and trying to turn things around. The organization began recruiting volunteer divers early this year, uh, but has been going slow. According to Hodson's, only one of 30 applicants selected for a pool test in April could swim half its length. The rest could not swim at all. Uh, but the, what they lack in experience to make up for passion and curios- curiosity, uh, one 24-year-old uh, said, it's exciting. Uh, this is the first time in my life, and naturally, and I have a wow feeling. Some students are learning to dive. This proved to be therapeutic. When I saw how amazing it is, I just forgot that I live in a very ugly zone. So, um, and, and we've all kind of experienced that. If you're a scuba diver, uh, it's amazing being underwater. They live in a place that they can turn this around. If they can get that fishing under control, they can bring those coral reefs back and they can bring in tourism. Ecotourism is going to give them much more money than what they would from fishing. That's going to be hard to turn around because people have to eat. You can't just uh, ignore that fact. But uh, hope you know we're hoping out that Haiti will be able to get their act together and turn this around. And on the end of our cleaning slew of articles, we have reality bites. Tourists are complaining of fishy smell in the harbor. Uh, it's one of those things that you have a hard time uh, believing, but tourists visiting Britain's Lifecombe Harbor I think I'm pronouncing that right, took offense to the disgusting smell of dead fish and lodged a complaint with a harbormaster, London's Telegraph reported. Dissatisfied with the harbormaster's response, which was along the lines of, well, this is a working harbor. You're supposed to smell like dead fish. The tourist took his gripe to the local newspaper, uh, which was the North Devon Journal. The 46-year-old was outraged at his children, aged 7 through 9, had been forced to endure the sights of 12 crates of dead fish crab piled up on the quarry side. When I say quarry side, it's probably quay side. Uh, there were flies fi- flying around, and the smell was really awful. Um, you know, m- my thought on that one is, you know what? <laughs> when you're by the water, you're going to smell some fish. And I can appreciate that a bunch of crates of fish sitting there in the sun are going to stink really bad. But uh, you know what? You kind of get that. That's part of the atmosphere. So... I guess if you wanted Disneyland, you can go to Disneyland or Cedar Point or one of the ocean parks where they're going to keep things extra squeaky clean. Uh, but if you're going to uh, go out there and visit local sites where there's actual active fishing going on, you might actually see the results of fishing, which could be the byproducts of the, the fishing. So, uh, you know, bait. If if you've ever watched uh, one of the shows I like to watch on TV is Mike Rowe in Dirty Jobs. And they had one where he was on a fishing boat. And I don't think we can really appreciate the smells that he has when he goes on there. But that one was exceptionally stinky when he was on that boat. Uh, you can kind of tell when they've had something that just kind of goes over the top. Uh, to me, I, you know, I really don't mind the smell of fish. I mean, I guess something get really bad, you know, the, about the worst place. And, and what we sometimes will get here around the docks is you get somebody will clean a fish and then they'll throw it. You know, you got, usually you'll have big dumpsters, which is where it should go, but they'll go and they'll throw it in a trash can out there by the dock and, uh, you know, 90 degree weather sitting there by a dock cooking in the sun and that will get a little ripe. So, I mean, that, and that's just one fish. So I can imagine there was a a little bit of stinky going on, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe they might want to go travel to some different spots. And this one is kind of unique. A lot of environmental scientists 
are looking for ways to analyze the change in the Earth's atmosphere and, and oxygen levels, no matter what side of the the history you're on or the, the opinion on you know global warming, it's always good to get more information to decide what is actually happening. And scientists in the CSIRO thought they had found the oldest air in the southern atmosphere when they opened up dive tanks from Melbourne Man that he had filled in 1968. But it turns out several Australians kept their tanks they're filled as early as the 1950s. Uh, now that air is being used as climate change research. Um, the story starts in 2008 when a Melbourne man was watching a uh, scientist on ABC TV. Uh, they stated that the oldest air that they had was 1978. And uh, somebody watching the show said, uh, look, I've got these tanks older than that in my shed. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they might be interested in those. Uh, so he checked, and it certainly was. It was from 1968. Um uh, over the years, they have found uh, tanks with the oldest being a homemade tank all the way to the 50s. So if you happen to have any tanks laying around and they're older than the 60s, uh, click on over the show notes, and I'm sure that uh, you can contact these people. They'll t- put you in, in a hold of somebody who would be interesting in taking the air from your own tank. Now, one thing I was wondering is, and, and maybe back in this, these times they weren't doing much filtering, but... Does the filtering change the value of that air? And also I was wondering, there has to be other containers that have had air. Uh, I've heard of the story of, uh, who, what was it, Henry Ford uh, capturing the last breath of Thomas Edison in a bottle. There's got to be museum collections that have had glass containers which were sealed at certain dates for certain studies. And the air in those, it seems like, would be able to be used. Uh, maybe there's something about them. Maybe it's the objects that are mixed with will affect them. And the last article we have up on the list is Scientists Explore Wreck, thought to be part of the 1812 fleet. This is a follow-up from one we've had uh, a few weeks back. Articles recovered from the ship submerged in the Potunks suggest that it could be the USS Scorpion. Uh, chief archaeologist for the Maryland, Maryland State Highway Administration is helping to evacuate early U.S. vessels that fought the British forces on the Chesapeake Bay during the War of 1812. It's a piece of Mer- Maryland's history and heritage, a symbol of strength from 200 years ago, uh, the scientist said. Uh, is cover- the, ship- the sunken shipwreck is covered by nine feet of silt. The team of archaeologists from the Maryland State Highway Administration Maryland Historical Trust and U.S. Navy began removing this summer. Um, pollutants that foul the the water quality, uh, sometimes known as sediments, hang heavy in the water too, and it makes it difficult to work. On a good day, divers can see 12 inches in front of them. After rain, almost nothing. Cloudy water hampered uh, their first dive of the site, but made it memorable too. I'm used to picking up an artifact and letting my eyes see it, uh, Shablowski said. But reaching through the water and having my hand see is just the first instant we took me back to the War of 1812. It gave me goosebumps. Archaeologists are now conducting the first uh, extensive exploration, just in time for the war's bicentennial and development of the Star-Spangled Banner National Historic Trail and Scenic Byway. It lies just north of the expansive lands of Jug Bay, where the crew uh, cut a slow, wide serpentine path through the marsh, the crew, or the uh, the river, the Patuxent. Tuxton. Uh, the ship's bow points upstream, a clear evidence of rigging. 
Planks of deck have been surprising, surprising yellow sheen. Any cane of wood is well preserved. The timbers are strewn and jagged, and, uh, jagged, uh, likely torn apart by the explosion that scuttled the ship. Divers were able to sit in the hold that contained the crew's personal belongings, provisions. In one location, they felt a barrel still sitting on the shelf. For the next few years, temporary coffer dam will be erected around the site and water drained from the enclosure. When I lifted out of the mud, air bobbles trapped from August 22, 1814 released and traveled to meet the 21st century. That's what I always kind of wonder when you're when you're on a wreck and you know one thing if you haven't been wreck diving in the Great Lakes you're missing out. You need to get out there and do that. And uh, as we're doing wreck uh, research and analyzing the wrecks that we find, when we're sitting on the surface buoyed to a wreck and you look down, the one thing that we always notice is that these wrecks after hundreds of years are still bubbling away. They're they're breaking down and they're decomposing. So time isn't forever. They're still going, but you see these little tiny bubbles. So uh, when you dive on a wreck, you'll see these bubbles come up and it's that's that wreck breaking down. So that does it for the news. Uh, without Mac here, I'll have to speak for him on what he did this last week. Uh, Jim and myself didn't get a chance to get out. Uh, we, in fact, I had Jim over uh, we had families that got together, and we did some cookout, and we didn't get a chance to go diving. But Mac, uh, he more than often than not, he makes up for our lack of diving, and he got out there and uh, did some river drift diving in some of our favorite spots in Niles. He was uh, drift diving from the hospital bridge and all the way down to the waste treatment plant, which is about, I would say, three-quarters of a mile. And he did this over three or four different drift dives. And one thing to be very careful is you're not experiencing that. There's a lot of hazards. And if you read him on the Mud Club, which is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, you can see he kind of tells you what he was seeing. Frequently, anything that anybody has thrown in, that doesn't go away. I mean, it might get washed down, but eventually it comes to stop against a tree or roots, uh, a dam. It's still there. And it doesn't break down. Stuff in your yard will break down much quicker than anything that you throw in the river. We found old washing machines. Some of these are early 1900s. Bikes from different years. Uh, He found anchors. Uh, One thing that he did find, uh, and I will call it a pig sticker, but it looked like a five-foot sword. Uh, It's one of them I want to take a look at. I want to see what it is, if it's a prop or something. or uh, I'm sure it's not historical. Uh, considering where he found it, but you, everything has a story. As you're as you're doing these ecology drift dives and, and picking up things in the bottom, you kind of want to think about what was the event that threw that in. And the least interesting one is somebody just throwing something away because they didn't want it. So that's what Mac did. He got a couple of the, the river drift dives. We didn't have anybody get in the lake. It was just a little bit stormy uh, this last weekend. But if you were doing inland uh, rivers and lakes, it was perfect to get some diving in. And then uh, we've got uh, the Mud Club has their Sheboygan trip this weekend. So earlier this week, we had Bob. He's gone up. Max up there. They actually called me last night and said, when you're coming up. And Jim and I were going to be heading up and doing the Sheboygan dive. They're reporting 120 feet of visibility up there by the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, but we're going to be unable to make it. We had something come up that's going to prevent us from being able to head on up there, so we're going to have to miss out. 
And we have Rich uh, has joined us in the chat room. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Uh, but uh, they're they've been they they're taunting me. So you know maybe I'll break down, maybe I'll go. But at this point in time, I don't think I'm I'm heading up there. So that about does it for this week. A little bit of a of a shorter Scuba Obsessed netcast. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody who's been friending us on Facebook. We're up to the 200 fans mark on there. And we actually did have a question, so if you can get in there and respond to it, if you if you know one of the friends of the show, uh, Craig, and I'm, I'm always pronouncing it wrong. Is it supposed to be Craig, C-R-A-I-G, uh, from down in uh, Australia. He's going to be visiting us in the United States this late November in San Francisco, and he's looking for recommendations on where to dive or who to dive with. So if you happen to uh, get... Uh, have any ideas of uh, where you should dive? You know anybody in the area? Go ahead and respond on there on Facebook and let us know, and uh, you know we'll pass it on, or you can and do it directly. We also have some five-star reviews in iTunes. Are, we would certainly appreciate those. Love it when you put those in. So we have one uh, titled "The Best uh, Dead Not Sleeping Five Three Four Five, and that's a mouthful. And he says nothing makes his day his workday fly by like scuba obsessed. Their topics are always interesting and always scuba. It's clear that these guys have been diving for a long time and very experienced. I like their story and banter, but Darren keeps it interesting even when he has to cast by himself, like tonight, uh, which is incredible. It's satisfying. By uh, Thanks for satisfying my scuba addiction. By the way, when do you think somebody should start buying their own gear? When do you think they should get uh, – what do you think they should get first? And do you recommend ba- brands for first-time divers? Thanks. And that's from Danny. Uh, thank you for the comments. Uh, you know, it almost makes me blush. Uh, I, I appreciate that you like the show and that you're enjoying it. Uh, all I can do is I can go. I mean, you're going to have different opinions. Uh, one of the things I recommend is get to your local dive center. Like uh, we have Rich at Diver Sink in the chat room tonight. You know, go visit your local dive center and ask them uh, what their opinions on. Uh, I can tell you up here in the Midwest. And part what I did is I rented gear. I didn't go out. And uh, some will like to go and buy the full kit. If you got the money, I think that's an excellent way to do it. You buy your own gear, you get everything nice, you get some good quality, and you're just going to dive a whole lot more often. It wasn't in my budget to be able to do that, so what I had to do was pick up pieces a little bit at a time. And uh, after about the fourth or fifth time, you're renting wetsuits. And so you do, you know, you, you, to get in the class, you're going to buy your mask, you're going to buy your fins, you're going to buy a snorkel. Uh, but everything else you can pretty much rent. Uh, the first thing you're going to notice is that in a particularly active dive shop, as, as hard as they try, some of the wetsuits you're going to be trying on are a little bit damp and they're a little bit cold. And if you don't get the same wetsuit each time, you're going to have to try it on there in the store. I mean, they're going to have a room for you to go into to try it on, but you're going to try it there in the store. And that's going to uh, that, that can get a little cold and clammy. You know, and it's one of those things you might not want to try on that wetsuit on a Friday and then go out to dinner because that might suit dry, that wetsuit might be a little bit ripe. So that is one of the first things that I personally did is I went out and I bought my wetsuit. And you can get a variety of them up here in the Midwest. We're going to be using seven mil uh, wetsuits, and uh, you know you can get eight mil. Uh, you know, from some special, we have some. They're almost like a semi-dry. Um, you know, down south, you're probably going to get some smaller ones, but I, I kind of favor a wetsuit. For it's one of those things; it's a it's a fit item, so it's nice to not have to worry about that. Um, 
I then went, uh, my next item was a BC. And then from there, I went with a regulator and tanks. And, and that's where I spent the most money on. And I didn't skimp at all on the regulator and the tanks. I probably, some people have criticized me for, for spending too much, but I just wanted something I knew I could use. I knew I was going to be doing ice dives. I had already uh, been doing some ice dives by that time I had bought my regulator. So that's what I did. So I, I had to get something environmentally sealed and able to handle those those conditions. So uh, when, uh, you know, I, I think anywhere, you know, you want to make sure you want to do the sport. So maybe, you know, you do a discover scuba diving, you know, go to that store, your instructor, ask them for gear. They should, should give you some good suggestions. Um, and then as far as brands, you know, stick with name brands. And that's, again, where the stores are going to be helpful. If you're going on the Internet or eBay, uh, I did, uh, you know, I like to keep an eye on eBay or Craigslist. And I have to say half the stuff that I saw coming up on Craigslist where I go, ooh, that looks interesting. If you look at the gear and being a new person, you're not going to know what it is. A lot of that is stuff that has been long out of production. I mean, there's a reason, you know, if, if something's too good a deal, uh, it probably is too good a deal. There's something to be wary of. And, you know, one thing, decor, if you see decor on the Internet, that is something that you can't get serviced. So uh, you know, just go ahead and do a search for yourself and you're going to see uh, that's what about half that gear out there is all this old, old gear. Uh, and then the next one, we have another five-star review from iTunes. Uh, it says, a great way to learn about the sport. I just recently found this podcast and started listening from the beginning. I still have a long way to go to make it to the present podcast, but I'm loving every minute of these guys. I'm not a diver yet, but it's my goal to be a PADI certified by next summer. Thanks for keeping my obsession going, and uh, thank you. So, uh, you know, we love those five-star reviews. Go out there. Go ahead and give us some. Also, you can do reviews on uh, TalkShoe. Make sure you keep your subscriptions active. Also, let us know how you're subscribing. Are you subscribing through iTunes or are you picking up direct from the website? I like to look at the stats and figure it out. So there's been a few times I've done some social experiments where I'll wait to post the show notes and see how that affects the uh, download numbers. But we certainly appreciate everybody listening, all our listeners, all our fans. I also appreciate all my co-hosts, even when they don't happen to to show up for the show, <laughs> I'll give them some grief. But uh, we have a—we're certainly having fun, and uh, like we said, we're—we're going to at least hit 200 episodes here before too long. So, going to skip the uh, scuba joke. Just not as much fun without somebody. So we'll go ahead and get that next week. Until next time, go out there and get wet and dive safe.